morning. We're going to read from the, the Bible, the Word of God now. We're turning to Acts chapter 10. And Stephen and I are going to share this reading. We've extended it a bit. Hope you'll bear with us. Just to give a little bit more context to what Stephen's then going to speak about. So Stephen's going to start in Acts chapter 10. Yep. I don't know. Can you hear me through this? Yeah. Okay. So we're beginning at Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The, Lord spoke, uh, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So carrying on to verse 23 and then jumping to verse 34, this must have really mucked up Peter's week. I mean, if this had happened to me, my whole week's plans would have been thrown up in the air and I would have been thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? This is really inconvenient. It really is. So then, (laughs) the next day, whatever Peter was going to do, he didn't do. The next day, Peter started out with these men and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And then jumping to chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, non-Jews. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing and crazy story Thank you for your word. Help me to make it clear, make it uh, clear like a clear lens, not to have any colouring or distortion in it. Amen. So, um, to recap where we've got to, last week, while we were coming back from the Lake District, I believe Chris was talking about the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, Could we have the next slide, please? Um, But I wanted to just recap where we've got to uh, a little bit, that uh, through Acts we've seen uh, increased numbers of people in the church, started with just 120 believers in the upper room, very rapidly another 3,000 were added, next slide please, and then there are uh, 16 occasions that I found in Acts where the word numbers is used to sort of indicate that there are more and more people being added. So it's just an ongoing thing that happened. Acts 4.4, um, the number of men who believe grew to about 5,000. Um, Acts 5.14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord. Um, Acts 6.7, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Next slide, please. Um, and this, while this incredible growth was going on, um, the paradox was that the believers were not becoming diluted. They're, they weren't becoming sort of alienated from one another because the numbers were increasing. They seemed to actually thrive on it. They, they grew closer together. They got more excited in their faith. 
um, because of what they were seeing that God was doing, um, and because new life was springing up around them. Um, they weren't just there with their old Christian friends that they'd known for ages, who they knew were able to look after themselves. They had to step up and try and help these new Christians. I remember very much when um, Jenny's husband, Lance, um, came from Alpha into our home group at Greyfriars years ago. Um, it really revolutionized our home group. We were used to just sort of comparing small details of scripture together and having a very nice time. Um, in fact, Johnny met with some, bumped into some people from that home group in France last week, which is very bizarre. Um, but our home group realized that Lance would not really understand what we were talking about we were studying Revelation at the time, unless we really gave him some help. So that actually caused all the believers to, to, to step up. And as a result of that, there was a warm increase, a lovely increase in fellowship amongst the believers. Next slide, please. Uh, very often as we draw nearer to God, because of having to step up, um, we draw near to one another, even if our personalities aren't necessarily the things that, that join us together because we're the same kind of personality. It's because we're children of the same Heavenly Father that we draw near to one another, and he somehow papers over those cracks and differences between us. Next slide, please. More than papers over, actually. It's, a, it's much more fundamental and true. But there had been setbacks, too. Um, Jesus had warned the disciples in John chapter 15 that as branches in the vine, that he would have to prune them, um, that, that the gardener would have, actually the father would, was the gardener, and he would be pruning them to make them even more fruitful. So the church had creaked at the seams in several points. We saw in Acts chapter 5 how Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira had tried to basically pretend to be somebody they weren't really and um, and had been struck dead and then in Acts chapter 6 there were problems with distributing food then there were threats from outside the uh, Sanhedrin called them in in chapter 2 in chapter 6 there was also further threats then uh, there were the lone mavericks like uh, Paul who were determined to lock up uh, Christians and got permission to do so from the religious leaders. Uh, it appeared in Acts chapter 8 and 9, and others who were desperate to wipe out this new movement. Next slide, please. But in Acts chapter 9, just after uh, Paul was converted and had caused a massive stir by changing sides dramatically and suddenly, um, the church sees a period of peace. Paul was sent to Tarsus in southern Turkey, where he was originally from, um, by the believers to avoid him getting killed, and that suddenly everybody kind of lost interest in crushing Christianity for a short while. But it, it comes back in the chapter after this one that we're looking at today. Um, so it says there in Acts 9 that the church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord... And encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Next slide, please. So Peter was uh, kind of freer to travel more openly, although there had been some 
uh, motion under persecution where people had just fled to places further outside Jerusalem. But Peter was able to go to Lydda, um, found that there was a, a man there called Aenus who was um, disabled, um, and Peter helped him. Uh, that also caused further growth. Next slide, please. Um, and also a lady called Tabitha uh, had died, who, a, a Christian lady, and Peter just said three words to her after praying, and she got up and, and was alive again. So things were going great in Joppa. Peter was staying with Simon and Tanner, and then we get to the story which we've just read. Next slide, please. Um, very bizarre. An enemy soldier visited by an angel at 3 p.m. Well, what could be weirder than that? Uh, this centurion who represented Rome, he was probably not ethnically um, Palestinian or Jewish. Um, he, uh, he, for some reason, he had... Uh, God jumped into his consciousness at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I don't know whether he was sitting in his office or whether he had time of prayer in the afternoon. It says that he prayed regularly. Um, but the angel came and absolutely scared him witless, uh, as seems to happen when angels make themselves known, um, uh, and, and said to him that your giving and your um, prayers have come up before God as a memorial offering. Um, and God's, God's aware that you're looking for him. Um, he's got an answer for you. And that answer involves you sending for this chap. Why God didn't say through the angel, here is the message, A, B, C, D, I don't know. For some reason, God wanted Cornelius to do this act of obedience of getting some people to travel to Joppa, seek this guy out with quite specific instructions as to where he was living, and bring him back. Who knew what was going to happen next? But this was the thing with Cornelius. He was a God-fearing person. He was earnest. He did what the angel said. He didn't just try and say, this isn't rational, it doesn't work out. And we can. Have, uh, there's a good... Uh, other centurion that we see in the Gospels who was a bit like this, who had a sick servant, and he's there in Matthew 8 and Luke 7 in parallel accounts. And he said to Jesus, Lord, say the word, and my servant will be healed. I've got men up, uh, under me, and I'm respon- res- myself responsible to, to my superiors. Just say the word. You don't need to come. And Jesus was amazed by his faith, and, and the guy's servant was healed. So there had been Romans who'd already responded to the gospel in some way. Next slide, please. What is this fear of the Lord that's come up in a couple of times? Um, it's a very paradoxical thing because it sounds like the last thing anyone wants in their life, fear of, of God. How awful to be fearing God. I mean, that sounds like a cowed, frightened, abusive relationship. But this is where it's a paradox, because uh, it, it, like that verse in Proverbs says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Fear of the Lord is a sense of awesome reverence that doesn't lead to 
a kind of cowed, uh, abusive situation. It, it's like coming into the presence, I guess, of the Queen and realising that you have to show respect, that you have to, that she's a powerful person, that you have to do things right. But you don't sense that, that they're going to act, lash out, or do, do something scary in that sense. Um, Charles Spurgeon had an interesting quote on this. He said, The fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. Nearly all of us fear something, but to have the fear of the Lord and to know he's looking after us is a much better thing than to fear those things. And with that fear often comes that peace, that security, that enjoyment of God's presence that intimacy with him as a heavenly father um, and that presence of the Holy Spirit as the counsellor who brings peace, who gives wisdom, who teaches us the way to go. Next slide, please. So these, um, this soldier who worked for Cornelius and some other men had gone off to, from Caesarea, which is a coastal city, to Joppa, another coastal place, down the coast, to uh, find Peter. That took them a little while. The next day, about noon, um, Peter uh, was praying and had this crazy vision of a sheet with animals in it. Again, why did God make it so complicated? I don't know, but he had a plan in it. Um, Peter was just left wondering what this all meant. But the timing was perfect. He'd had a a sense of hunger. He then fell into this trance. It was all to do with eating. And then as he came round from it, what should happen? But these guys turn up at his house. They'd set off the the previous day, and yet everything worked out just at the right time. This um, led to the men asking Peter, come with us. Peter didn't really know what was going to happen next. Could this be a trap? Was this a Roman plan to try and get him, the leader of the the whole Christian movement, to come into some place where the military were, lock him up, throw him out of the country, kill him, something worse. Who knows? But Jesus had warned Peter when he reinstated him that one of the things that would happen in his life would be that he would be dressed by people, other people. He would be led into places that he wasn't expecting to go. And it says in that, in that bit of John that, this was to indicate the kind of death that Peter was going to, to die, um, uh, the way he was going to die. And, and this case wasn't one of those, because Peter died obviously later. But he'd already been told um, to, uh, to, ex- to, to, to follow these men and go with them. Later, he's locked up in prison, and God says come out, there's an angel, and you just need to follow him. He didn't know where he was going and what he was doing. And then later, a third time, we know from tradition that he was in Rome, probably in Rome, and got executed in Rome in what's now St. Peter's Square, which at the time was a a big um, Roman racetrack, and they thought it was a jolly good place to have a good public execution. So... um, it, it, fit, it kind of fits into this model where Peter had to trust God, even though it didn't quite make sense at the time. Next slide, please. 
So what Peter said, these stats came up quite small. The number of words in his talk was 224 words, 1,100 and something characters. According to uh, some site I put this into, you can say that in one minute, 14 seconds. Um, It's a very, very short sermon. I think I've already blown the limit on that one. Um, All he said, really, was what he said in Acts 2 with all the scripture passages taken out. Um, because he probably figured these were Gentiles, they might not understand, be familiar with the scripture. So Jesus is judge. Jesus was killed, but has been raised to life. Jesus is Lord of all. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Next slide, please. That was the end of the talk. Uh, Before we got to the end of it, um, the spirit fell on all of the people there, Cornelius, his family, probably some of his trusted servants, who'd all been sitting there before he got there, ready for this man to arrive. And the spirit was outpoured, that it mentions that they spoke in other languages, spoke in tongues, um, and there was probably some huge commotion, babble, loud noise, uh, because that's what was seen there in, in Acts 2. So in a way, it was a sort of second Pentecost, really. The first one was to Jewish uh, people and converts to Judaism. This one was to people who were God-fearers, but these were Gentiles. They weren't circumcised. They weren't of Jewish birth. Uh, They were not the kind of people that Jews uh, normally would associate with, and they weren't the kind of people that Jews would expect to have any reverence for God, and that's why they've been told to separate from people like that since the Exodus period. So it was very, very, very unexpected. What, what happened? Did Peter then resume his talk? No, that was the end of it. He abandoned it. He went straight into saying, well, I think these people need to be baptised in water as well as in the Spirit. One of the things I think is really lovely about this passage is the way that it shows um, a very healthy Christian new birth. Uh, One of the things I've learned about through being married to Gwyneth is about the amazing things that happen at childbirth, Um, how the heart uh, changes, how circulation reverses at the point where you start breathing when you come out from your mother's uh, birth canal, and uh, how there are other uh, fundamental changes in metabolism, in um, thermoregulation, all the things that all kick in at the point of birth. And if some of those are delayed, the baby's got problems. They have to be ready for the outside straight away, although obviously some things take the first year or two of life to fully develop. But one of the wonderful things that's happening here is that all all the things that should happen with a new birth are happening all together. There's no kind of half conversion. There's no kind of half uh, experience Not only have they responded to God, but they've also received that mark of the the Holy Spirit in enormous measure, not just a little bit, not just a seal, but overflowing. And they've uh, committed themselves to God in a public way by being baptized in water. And that's happened all in the same moment. So day two, they were already fully marked out as fully-fledged new believers. Next slide, please. Why, why did God use Peter 
for this? This is a really interesting question because Paul had left for Tarsus through Caesarea before, just before this happened. So Paul would have been somehow the best person, wouldn't he? He was from Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. He'd had a classical Roman education as well as a Jewish education. He would have been great to talk to this guy from the Italian regiment. But maybe the change that was happening here for the Jewish believers was so cataclysmic that they could accept and seek out Gentiles as brothers and sisters. Maybe it required the kind of leading disciple of all the disciples, of Jesus' disciples, to see this and accept it with his own heart before the church would be able to really go with this and run with it. In fact, the next chapter, Acts 11, is entirely a retelling of this whole story because the believers in Jerusalem heard before Peter got back that this had happened, and they were scandalized. So he had to explain it all very patiently and precisely, and and they accepted it. But then it reared its ugly head again in Acts chapter 15 when some Jewish believers went to another part of the uh, Roman Empire and said that these people need to be circumcised. So that might be why Peter was, um, was chosen for this. Philip could have also been the choice of this because he, he ended up living in Caesarea later. But Peter was the man that God chose. Next slide, please. Um, Peter gave his talk in 1 minute 14 seconds. And I think one of the things that's been a real challenge to me is can I communicate... Uh, my hope in God really quickly and straightforwardly to somebody who isn't a Christian because sometimes these things just come up in conversation with work colleagues. Maybe I could even seek them to happen a bit more often. So I thought I'd just run through very quickly this thing called Two Ways to Live. I don't know whether anyone's heard of it before, but if this uh, is something that's of interest to you, you can get loads of info on it on the web. So there are six images that you draw in front of your non-Christian friend. First one is, is this one. Um, the crown stands for God. He's the ruler of the, the whole universe. He's made the earth, that round ball, and he's put us on it as, as rulers. Next slide, please. But we ignore his, um, rule, uh, his sovereignty. That's why the crown's crossed out. And we live as if we're our own little rulers. Next slide, please. The consequence of that is that um, uh, we uh, come under God's judgment and die. Next slide. But God sent his son, uh, Jesus, into the world. Um, That's why the J is there. And Jesus always lived his life under the rule of God. That's why he's under, back, sorry. (laughs) Um, And he died for us to take the penalty for the wrongdoing we had done, which is why the arms are in a cross there. Next slide. Jesus was raised by God uh, back to life, um, and he's seated with his heavenly Father in heaven. Next slide. So each of us has a choice. Do we choose to live under Jesus' authority, which is the image on the right, or do we uh, live carry on living in our own sin, under judgment, under our own authority. 
That's just a simple illustration, but you can do this on a bit of paper really easily. It just requires a little bit of memorization. And then you've got a vehicle, and you can give that person a piece of paper at the end. Next slide. So I just, uh, in wrapping up, just say that in conclusion, um, I don't know where everybody is in their walk with God here today. Two ways to live. You know, which way will you live? Maybe somebody here uh, is a God-fearing person. Um, That was how I became a Christian. For years, I had no knowledge that God wanted a personal relationship with me. I got a Gideon New Testament at school. I kind of realized that God was there. Um, I read through the New Testament a little bit, but I didn't really understand it at all. It didn't make any sense to me. Um, Didn't really have much Bible background. Um, And then when I got to know Christians at, at secondary school, when I was about 15, I was shocked, absolutely scandalized that they appeared to enjoy their Christian life. I went to church occasionally, but I did it as a duty. Um, Some of them even went on Bible holidays. I just thought, what's wrong? Um, And they said that they had a personal relationship with Jesus. um, And that blew my mind, really. Maybe somebody's here who's a God-fearing person. Um, who uh, the door is open to a full relationship with God. There are God-fearing people all around us in our community. Some of them are, God has kind of spoken to them through creation or something they've heard in the past, and they, they really revere him. But they don't know this next step, that Christ has made it possible to live in a, a deep, real experience with God the Father, that we can be intimate with him, that we can, he he wants to intervene directly and personally in our lives. Let's, Let's be mindful that when we move around that there are people like that around us, maybe more than we think. And let's um, use tools such as two ways to live to share that message with others. So, Think about your own ways that you can explain um, your testimony. Of course, your own story is so powerful. But can you explain it quickly and accurately? Setbacks. We saw that the church experienced setbacks. Maybe some of you are are experiencing setbacks in your own life. Um, God has a time of peace and strengthening. Uh, But hold on. Don't compromise um, your trust in him because things are hard. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Isn't it amazing that God came to the Gentiles? If he hadn't, we just wouldn't have what we have today. And what you said, that there's not a halfway, is just wonderful, that these people... They just believed, the Spirit came, and they were baptised, and they were just immersed in in Christianity, sort of straight on. We're going to spend some time now worshipping. Adam is going to lead us in some music. But if you feel that God has got something that he's given you to share, then please do feel free to come and and share things with us. Sometimes God gives words, he gives scriptures. 
which sort of go round and round your head and and there might be somebody else sitting here who really needs to hear those words so if you feel that the spirit is giving you something to share then please try and overcome the the um the fear of standing up and uh, come and share it with us but we're just going to spend the next little while just worshiping god <laughs> 